All right. So Discovery Season 2, where's everybody at on that? I watched it. You're halfway through. Dave? Uh, I watched the first episode. (laughs) Wow. I watched the first episode and then went to Rockford Files. Yeah. I mean, no, they're absolutely correct on that. Rockford Files. (laughs) Well, in all honesty, you're probably watching something. I'm sorry. Did I do that? I really liked season one, but season two, I, man. I thought season one was excellent, uh, and season two has been. You know what? Season two, it has. It's not that it's been bad. It's just that it's been a drag. Yes, there's one or two good episodes, um, normally centered around Captain Pike. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but you get to the. I don't see that there's a massive problem with the last episode, but we can't talk about it because only Bill and I have seen it. I know. Of, I know. Essentially, what happens? I know where the everything ends up. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, but within the confines of the story that they set up, there is no reason for it to happen. It makes no sense. Like they totally. I mean, I have to go back and watch it to formulate my art argument. But at the time, I was like, even I, I, like right at the end, I was like, wait a minute, that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, you, you texted me. You texted me going, why did they have to do that once they'd done the other thing? There is no yeah. reason for them to do the thing once the other thing has happened. Exactly. And I'm, you, you're, you're absolutely right. There is no reason for the thing to happen after the other thing occurs. Makes no sense other than they really, the writers have really got fed up of uh, answering the question. Yeah. So where does this fit in canon? Yeah, they just totally had to remove them. They had to take them off the table, was what we'll say. And they just went with the premise why they had to take them off at the beginning of, like, the last two episodes. Even though they didn't still need to do that. But it was just to, like, well, we've written ourselves in a corner and everybody's bitching. So, f*** you all. We're going to put them here. Meh. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. So, Deep Space Nine. Well, you're doing change of heart, dude, so yeah, unless we've already been... I'll tell you what, that can be our Star Trek Discovery episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dex. We might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts... Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello and welcome to Listen Finally, to the Project. done. Thank We're God. Listen there. to the Project. Shut up! God. What's the name Listen of the show, to the Bill? Projects. <laughs> Hello and welcome Hold to up. nothing. Nobody's going <laughs> to listen to... No! Get on with it! <laughs> Hello and welcome to Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Join us as we continue our, well, it will be ending because we are we are now more than halfway through the sixth season. So it's our never-ending finite journey? <laughs> our never-ending no, finite right. journey. True, true. So we are here today to cover a change of heart. The stakes are life and death. You are seriously injured. Now Worf and Dax must choose between love and duty. Worf, you have to go on without me. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Which I would like to say is, what if... 
What if Predator was a romantic comedy in space? <laughs> I'm sorry. Who are you? What do you mean, who am I? What's your name? They know who I am. If they don't know who I am by now, they shouldn't be here. Okay. I am... Shockingly, they know who you are, and they, they're here. I am Dr. Bill Robinson, and as always with me is... J. David Weeder. Hi. Paul Spataro. Present. And... and, and notice we had the and. And... Mm -hmm. Andrew Leyland. I like the pause, though. That's like putting a box around my name. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you like boxes. That's You're a like a cat. cat. You just jump into yes. a box. Yes, yes. Our, our cat is called Kane, and Angela has made a little box for him to sit in, which he does in front of the TV, and she's wrote Pegasus on it, which I thought was wonderfully funny. <laughs> I'm thinking you're like an internet mime in a box. <laughs> I'm a mime. But, but just a verbal mime. Oh, right, okay, so, so not a mime just, at all. You just, don't, you just don't say anything. You sit there with headphones on and pretend to be in a box. <coughs> <coughs> yes, I do. <clears throat> so we are here today, like, like I uh, said, to cover the uh, romantic comedy of Predator in Space with, uh, with Dutch and Dylan off on a planet to rescue Billy from uh, some, some, uh, some communists in a jungle planet. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, before we get into that, do we have any uh, Star Trek news? Very, very sad Star Trek news. Oh. Peter Allen Fields, who wrote a number of episodes of Deep Space Nine, but he's best known around these parts for writing the $7 million man episode of the $6 million man. It's wild. It's wild, Steve. Wild. I thought we were all going to do it then. Uh, I sadly passed away this week as we record this episode. Oh. Uh, he worked extensively on The Man from Uncle to the point where there is a Del Florias florist on Deep Space Nine as a homage to Peter Allen Field's work on The Man From U.N.C.L.E., oh. plus many, 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 many other stores. But obviously, for me, he's the guy who wrote The Seven Million Dollar Man. But he's worked on Xena and other stuff. Mm. He wrote The Inner Light for the next generation. Ah. Oh, <laughs> oh it's sad that that was our, our buy-in. No, it's not. It's, you know, the guys uh, The guys worked extensively in television through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. He had an exceptionally good career. His episodes always get good ratings when we when we drop by. When he And I think he's got a couple of others coming up that we haven't covered yet, so we'll look forward to looking at them. Look well, forward to looking. It's always sad when people we've, well, not that we've known, but we've admired their work, even if we didn't know we were admiring their work, mm. pass on. Yep. Well, besides that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the show? <laughs> Six Semper Tyrannus. I thought you had uh, news, Bill. I did? You were talking about the Orville. Oh, uh, I didn't have any new news about the Orville. I was just... Bill's was words were, I'm looking forward to Star Trek news. Well, hmm. Were they not, or am I, am I making no, this No, I up? thought that was Andy that said that. That was it, yeah. That was that was my stuff right news. Well, don't yeah. I feel awkward? This is like it's like showing a girl your your collection of jewel posters. Because apparently, Bill, you and I sound so alike as to be practically brothers. Oi, J. David Weeder, I'm Andrew Leyland. It's and five o'clock in the morning. And I'm from Florida. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> I was born in New Jersey, thank you. And I was born in New Jersey. I'm walking here. I'm from Jersey. You from Jersey? I'm from Jersey. We're Texas. Shall we go and get a pizza? It's not a pizza. It's a pie. Oh, sorry. A pizza pie? No, a pie. Just a pie. pie. Give me pie. I understand that reference. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being a good fellas, isn't it? <sighs> yes. Welcome to my world. <laughs> 
then you see Paul sat around with all his mates, decided who they're going to whack after dinner. <laughs> that was really not, not much of a discussion. Ah. <laughs> uh. As you can tell, we're excited to get to this episode. We are! Get up! You're the host! You know what? what? I'm going to take a pre-episode poll. Everyone who uh, liked this episode, say aye. All right. So, yeah, we're looking forward to this one. (laughs) (laughs) The snark is strong with this one. Yes. Use the snark, Luke. Wait, that was almost like Sean Connery. Use the snark, Luke. Use the snark, Luke. I may have to retire here. <laughs> Change of Heart. Season 6, episode 16, was directed by David Livingston, I presume. Written by... <laughs> Very good. Written by Ronald D. Moore. Featuring music by Dennis McCarthy. And its original air date was on March 4th, 1998. And I have no idea what I was doing. <clears throat> and our guest appearances are by Todd Waring as Lasarin. And I had to look him up in... <coughs> I was choked up by that. When I looked him up, I saw him and said, I still don't recognize him. But anyway, (laughs) our plot goes like this. When Dax and Worf are sent to the Badlands to meet a Cardassian double agent, they receive an encrypted subspace transmission from Lasarin, the operative. He is information, information. We want information. You won't get it. About where the crook. We will. We will. About where the founders are located in the Alpha Quadrant. But before he will reveal anything, he wants Dax and Worf to help him defect. In three days, he plans to walk into the jungle on the planet Sukara. Welcome to Sit- the jungle. We got fun <laughs> games. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Dave. That was going to be my musical reference. Thank <laughs> at all. You know, we're going to watch Chance of You Bleed, Bleed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, you've just you've just surpassed the episode in, in entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Since Dax and Worf will be unable to beam him off the planet, they are to rendezvous with him in the jungle. Seeing no alternative, they agree to the plan. Dax and Worf head immediately to the Sokara system, successfully landing the runabout in the middle of the jungle. In the jungle, look at the- they have just under two days to reach the rendezvous point, and although this is about twenty kilometers away, they will have to penetrate the Dominion sensors and get past their patrols, reconfiguring their tri- tricorders to match their life signs. And, re- and remind me, I have a plot point about that, or maybe I should just mention it there. Don't they say, when they first use them, oh, our tricorders are going to be useless from this point on. Now, is that only for mapping? Because as soon as she gets hurt, he uses the tricorder on her to see... Oh, no, they say they do say once they've set the tricorders to mask the signals, they will be useful, useless in the usual capacity, but they will still be able to be used like a scanner and such. See, like, I didn't hear him say that. Tricorder Wi-Fi. Yeah. So anyway, Dax and Worf are able to begin their trek through the jungle. They hike the entire day, finally stopping to make camp after night falls. Despite the difficulty of the journey, it is almost like a honeymoon for the newlyweds who enjoy talking and joking together. Uh, At that point, played Jungle Love by uh, Steve Miller. Jungle Love, you're driving me mad. You're making me crazy, crazy. However, stay in the time. (laughs) Purple Rain. Oh yeah, Jungle Love. I guess I kind of matched that. I did my own mashup right there. Yeah. However, they soon realize that they are in the path of a Jem'Hadar patrol. With no way to escape, they quickly quickly formulate a plan of attack. Hide behind a bush and shoot them when they show up. They manage to kill all three Jem'Hadar, but Dax is shot with a disruptor that leaves an anticoagulant in her wound. 
Huh? Meaning the bleeding cannot be stopped. Well, thank you for clarifying that. With the help of painkillers and regular plasma transfusions, they continue their trek, but Dax's injuries impede their progress. Shooter! Oh, and eventually she loses the ability to walk. Worf realizes that Dax's only hope for survival is surgery. Since they cannot abandon their mission, Dax and Worf both decide Worf must keep going, leaving Dax behind to die. Aw. The newlyweds share a kiss goodbye, and Worf heads off into the jungle. Into the jungle. But as he gets farther and farther away, Worf realizes he cannot complete the mission. Instead, he, for no apparently reason, throws a knife at a bush, (laughs) (laughs) and he rushes back to the now unconscious Dax reaching her just in time to save her life. Back on Deep Space Nine, he learns she will recover, but their mission is a complete loss. Lasarin has been killed. Oh, Cisco informs Worf that as captain, he must tell Worf he made the wrong choice. As w- bad, bad Worf, you'll never get a command. As well as issue a formal reprimand. This will go on your permanent record, Mr. Worf. Lessening the possibility of ever getting his own command and prohibiting any further missions with Worf and Dax as a team. Yeah, right, like that's going to stick. But as a man and a husband, he would have done the same thing. And uh, isn't there like some type of subplot in this about Bashir? And, yeah, uh, Bashir and O'Brien learning how to play Tonga. Yeah, because they it's, want to it's beat Worf. Every bit as I mean, fun uh, as you think it's going to be. Yeah, because uh, 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 Quark is on the the Tongo Master, and of course, uh, yeah, there's a whole subplot that they didn't even mention in here. Which on some <laughs> that's is, how relevant it was. Well, yeah, but on some uh, but level, on some things, I found that I found that somewhat more compelling than the Jungle Mission at times. Uh, yeah, okay. So discuss. Do do you think the writers knew where season seven was going to go? I don't want to spoil too yes. much. But, okay, because Terry Farrell actually requested that Jadzia Dax. Oh fuck it, spoilers! Uh, die in this episode. Mm. Um, do you know why though? Do you know what was said to Terry Farrell specifically? Uh, I do not know. I know she wanted to go semi regular in season seven rather than being regular regular because she'd been offered the comedy gig on Becca. Which also shot on the Paramount lot, and sitcoms only shoot two and a half days a week, so she would have been free to still do like episodes of Deep Space Nine here and there. Well, apparently, because this is where contract negotiations were coming up for the final season, what they were what turned out to be the final season. All right, before you start, though, why do they not all sign for like, isn't it four seasons with an option? Are five seasons with an option for two more. It'll vary, but it's usually even numbers. Right. So we're okay. coming to the end of an even-numbered season. But um, what ticked her off, what tripped her trigger was there was nobody really trying to get her to stay, and somebody actually said to her, you're lucky you have this gig, otherwise you'd be working at Kmart. Whoa. Whoa. Yes. That's, that's a bit rough. Exactly. Can I shop at that Kmart? <laughs> <laughs> well, not anymore. Sorry. Oh, yeah, true. And I, I'm, I'm not. Well, God, that came off totally sexist and everything. And I didn't mean it to be like that. I just I mean I like Jetsy, and if she was at a Kmart, I'd be buying my stuff. You know what, Kmart? Maybe you should have made her your spokesperson instead of Jacqueline Smith. Maybe put her in charge. Put her in charge, man. Game over, Kmart. <laughs> Bill Paxton was there too. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, that's how. I mean, she literally, she, you know, pretty justifiably felt mistreated and underappreciated. And immediately, like Andy. yes, and immediately walked into a gig that lasted five seasons, mm-hmm. which is probably more than the rest of the cast did. Yes, she fell up. Although you know, Cole Mead, he's never been wanting for work, has he? No, uh, he's always popping up in movies everywhere, mm. and this mm, and that, well. and whatnot. And, you know, and he, he's got his engineering skills. Wait, 
Oh, sorry. But they also Ooh. set up the relationship that we're going to see in Season 7 with uh, Quark messing with Bashir's mind. Oh, yes. yeah. And, and yeah, you know, I was thinking that, too, that, you know, it's like, hmm, yeah, well, I'll never get a second chance. Ha-ha! Oh. Yeah, see, I, I wonder if, if they knew Terry Farrell was leaving, how much knowledge did they have about replacing Dax, and if they were going to do what they ultimately did. Yep, that's what I kept thinking about from this episode. Which is why that subplot, like you're saying, Dave, was more important than maybe in... Well, I mean, I guess the both things that happened in, in the two parallel plots were important. You know, with, with, with our... With our hindsight about our foresight? Both, <laughs> in this case. <laughs> See, my problem with this one is I, I, the reason that when Paul asked the question earlier on, I was very... Uh, uh, is that on the one hand, the dialogue at the beginning of this episode between Worf and Dax is very pitter-patter moonlighting and really entertaining. Mm-hmm. And the relationship between Worf and Dax throughout the episode is exceptionally well-written and well-handled. My main problem with it, which basically pulls the rug out from under the entire episode, and I'm glad that at the end of the episode Cisco draws attention to it, is why on earth are Starfleet sending a husband and wife on the same mission? Kind of makes you wonder why they put, at this point, they put entire, well, I mean, with the war going on, they may not be leaving families on starships, but, I mean, well, because before Starfleet being in battle, this hadn't really been a problem with having, you know, your spouse or your family on a ship because they were a scientific organization and not a military one, per se. Um, Although, although with things like the the Borg... Yeah. And uh, other things like that coming up. You think they would have changed their policy by now, especially well, with, with, yeah. But stabling that discussion for a minute, I can totally buy, because as we saw in the original Star Trek, Captain Kurt married a couple on the Enterprise. So I can totally buy having families, spouses, whatever, serving together. My problem is specifically sending a husband and wife team on this mission. Whoever gave those orders has never been married. True story. Okay, yeah, that's 100% valid. That's compromising the mission. Yeah, because if worst-case scenario happens and such a situation occurs as happens in the show, what do you think they're going to do? Do you think they're going to carry out the mission or going to save the spouse? They're going to save the pissing spouse. <laughs> who the married couple is. <laughs> well, yes, but for the yeah. most part... Oops, yeah, we had a little accident. Even if you don't, even not buying into the fact that Worf is a Klingon and he will carry on with the mission and whatever the hell, you're still then burdening him with the fact that he is responsible for the death of his wife. It's not that she was killed on another mission as part of Starfleet. Worf would be upset with that, but accept it. But it's that here, he would have been responsible for her death. It's not as if like he walked outside and found her drowned in his pool or anything. No, it is exactly nothing like that at all. And nothing like that has ever occurred heard any word that we are aware of <laughs> i don't even know how to pick that up <laughs> unless you know just in case the lawyers are listening allegedly nothing like that has ever occurred allegedly that we are aware no- of yes allegedly nothing like that has ever happened so ultimately that pulls the rug for me under the entire episode i think that it's not this isn't heart to heart <laughs> and, and you know what? I think, you know, we're, we're all hitting on the same thing. I think that's one of the things I just didn't like about this episode. Uh, first of all, to be honest with you, it, it had a tough time holding my attention. I found it to be a little just uninteresting. Yeah, it's all draggy. Did you find it draggy in places? Yes. Yes, yeah. I did. And 
the whole premise of it just kind of fell flat on me. I just was like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm uninterested in it. And that is with the foreknowledge that she's leaving the show and that I should be, you know, embracing her episodes more because there's so few left. But mm-hmm. I, I didn't find that I cared. I really didn't. It was like, I know she's not going to die. Which I guess it goes to show you that Terry Farrell was probably right in requesting that she get killed there because it would have been a real shocker. Mm. The way she does ultimately go, and you know, we'll get to that, almost feels a little anticlimactic. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far, but it does feel like this would have made a natural point and a, a good. I think this might have been a better way to go, especially in sacrifice to the war. And this this would have you know going into the final season, this would have been a hey, no one is safe kind of episode for the viewers. Yeah, I think I think I think she's right, and I think her her reasoning was she didn't actually want to be killed off, but she says this leaves Worf in a really interesting place going into the next season. That he followed his duty, he carried out the mission, but his wife died because of it. And I actually think she's right. I think that's more interesting than what we got. I agree totally. Well, I think like, I think it would have been a real just you know like an eye opener you know after a somewhat plotting episode to to find out that she didn't survive just would have been like you know like an oh my god moment. Mm. Even better if this was the B plot of another episode with with different stakes and you're just kind of paying attention and then and she dies off screen. Yeah, and that that's my blower. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, that's why I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what the ratings are, because overall, I think this one is well written in terms of its relationships and its Ooh. characters, but like Paul, I found the actual plot to be a bit draggy, and the overall premise I don't buy. What if, what if she'd actually died at the end when she's, uh, you, you know, after she he gets back to the station, he's been berated by um, Cisco. And and then like when she's when she's on the take you know when she's all pale face and everything and and then she had died right there so she died and he failed the mission even yeah. better even better I like that Bill you know because there was like something that he didn't catch because he wasn't didn't have the medical training and you know well there's nothing you could have done Worf you know I, I almost feel like. Uh... Like, it would have been a really cool thing as if he got, you know, like, right after he got berated and he was like, well, at least I saved her. And then he walked out and they said, oh, by the way, she didn't make it. What? No. And then you just have, yeah, you have him give the Klingon yell and then just Ah. collapse to the ground. And then the end. Or, you know. That would be. That would be painful to watch, to be honest with you, but it would definitely, definitely would resonate. Yeah, I think that's probably a little bit darker than Star Trek was willing to go at this oh, time. man, make it dark! <laughs> <laughs> I'll break well, it's, 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 it's incredibly dark, yeah, and, but, yeah. but that's why it's so powerful. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not an excellent idea, I just think that's not... For all of the back patent that Deep Space Nine was the darker, grittier show... I don't think even they would have gone that far back in 1997. Nowadays, they were oh, talking nowadays, about yeah. yeah. But 97, I don't think Jesus, it was. nowadays, people get hit like buses and everything else, you know. Bye, see you later. They turn, walk out in the street. Blam! Oh, my God. Yeah, like Marina Sirtis' death in, um, God, was she an Iron Fist or something? She was somebody's was she? mum in one of the Marvel shows. Ooh. Was she? I and, didn't even know that. Yeah, and she literally turns around to cross the road after saying goodbye to her and gets mowed down by a truck. Was, was that Marina Sirtis? I thought it was in the the woman from the Expanse who was in the Punisher, like, whose name I cannot remember. So was it was it, was it Iron Fist or was it the Punisher? Let's, I let's remember show to a dead stop. Look that up. I haven't watched. I remember Marina Sirtis Punisher season two or Punisher season one. 
I haven't watched all two. season. I haven't watched all season two. Marina Sirtis is the mum, and, and we're watching it and going, "Oh, it's nice to see Marina." Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> okay. And well, I, I guess I don't need to watch the rest of season two of Punisher then. Thanks. Oh no, it was Titans. Titans? Oh, okay. Yeah, oh. she's Dove's oh. mum. Sorry. <laughs> she's Dove's mum in Hawk and Dove. Oh. You'd see how I'd get Titans confused with the Marvel Netflix shows, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, you, comics, yeah. Oh, darkest it's ex- sin. It's excusable. Yeah, she's in the Orville as well, but she doesn't get killed in that. Yet. I don't even remember what she played in the Orville, but you're right. Oh, wait, wasn't she the teacher? Yeah, she's the English teacher. That's right. You know what? I'm noticing a notice, like a, a distinct trend. That we're that not we talking have... about the episode. Did everybody <laughs> on the Orville? <laughs> Paul, the snark is strong with yep. Paul again. <laughs> but that's where I was going. That we're not talking about the episode. This is this is a this has happened a lot lately with the episodes. We have well, the, then I guess you know, beyond, then, far beyond the stars, but that we we had one before that one just couldn't wait to be done. Well, do you not think as well that the opening to this season was so incredibly strong that they've not been able to maintain that level throughout the entire season? That's, it yeah, feels that's kind like of where I was although, going. yeah, although the war is still ongoing. It's not really, though, is it? No, I mean, it's, it's just, it's on hold while we do normal Star Trek things. Mm. Whereas so, Babylon 5 didn't do that. Babylon 5 had the war keep going, and every episode escalated on the previous one. Yep. So, what you, so what you're telling me, Dave, is that I really shouldn't <laughs> go into my 10-minute dissertation about the five Sullivan brothers who died in the Navy and its correlation to this, <laughs> and how the Navy... Yes, and how the Navy enacted the sole survivor policy, which was also, you know, featured in the movie Private Ryan. So I guess we could skip that portion of the show then. All right. Thomas <laughs> Sullivan Magnum? Thomas Sullivan Magnum. The that, was, that was there was a movie, I guess it was in the fifties, The Fighting Sullivans, which is actually based on that. Yeah. And they also named a destroyer after them too. Okay. All right, guys. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> it was five brothers that served on a ship and they all died in the same same time and that's why they because they their stipulation when they went in was that they would all serve together on the same ship and then, you know, basically their whole family line was ended right there. So that's why there was so the service it adopted a policy that like if you were the last sole surviving member, like you could be exempt from a draft, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, blah blah blah. I guess. So, should we go ahead and just rate this episode? Yeah. <laughs> Move along. Move along home. Hello, Moraine! Well, yeah, and, and he missed his cue. He was drinking tea. <laughs> well, somebody else did it for me, so that's fine. Oh, one of the brothers was George Thomas Sullivan. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, oh, that means I gotta rate it, because it was my Yes, episode. we're waiting for you. It's your episode, dude. Uh, hmm. Well, okay. If you take out our foreknowledge of foreshadowing for things that's yeah, of things that are going to happen. If I take that out... Um, I think you have to take that out. I don't think you can rate this based on what's going to happen in the future. Then I can only give this a two, because it was just... Uh, it, 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 it dragged, it just seemed... The two plots, even though with the foreknowledge, you know, I might give it a three or a little higher, you could see how they were linked, but just looking at it on its own, it's like, yeah, two. Okay. Two... two, uh, two Two knives that I, for no reason, threw. Now, did he throw that knife into that tree to tell that guy what? Or was he just pissed off and threw his knife in a tree and left it in the jungle? He, like, he yes. was just pissed off, what I could tell. I thought I missed something. I thought my DVD skipped or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, two lost Klingon knives in the jungle. Uh, I liked Quark's manipulation of Bashir which I thought was very clever. I also loved that O'Brien could quite clearly see what was going on, but Bashir couldn't. 
It just goes to show you sometimes life skills can outmaneuver smart genetic intelligence. Yes. On Earth, two hundred years ago, I was a prince. Um, and I no, love I'm a moron. Oh, and I love the writing of Jadzia and Worf's relationship. But ultimately, I don't think much of the episode itself. And I do think the only reason the character drama is as good as it is is because Ron Moore wrote this. Anyone else who wrote this, it would have been an unmitigated disaster. So I'm going to go 2.5 because it's half a good episode. I think I'm going to land at 2.5 as well because because of the performances. Michael Dorn and Terry Farrell were great in this episode. Michael Dorn was a loosened up, uh, interesting version of Worf. Mm. I mean, he's lied about on the Enterprise. I was considered quite amusing. That was one dull ship. Yes, loved it. <laughs> I'm going to go 2.0 because I feel like it's... It's not a terrible episode, but it's slightly below average, and I'm putting 2.5 as average. I think this is below that. So I'm going 2.0 on this one. And now that we've rated it, what does Blaine say? If I can find where I put it, there it is. I got no song. Um, I was I was trying to think. Have we done Welcome to the Jungle with Blaine? I don't believe Welcome to the Blaine Mail. We've got fun and games. <laughs> We're going to find out what he says. What does Blaine say? What does Blaine say? What does Blaine say? <laughs> I broke myself. <laughs> okay, I am Axel. so I am so not a Guns N' Roses fan. Guns N' Roses fan. It's just uh, not me. Guns N' Roses still get the best visual gag in any film ever. So for that alone. Deadpool? No. Terminator 2. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Pistols and pansies? Oh, sorry. Blaine says, Hi, guys. Worf is trying to develop a sense of humor. I enjoy seeing how his relationship with Dax is changing him. It's also nice to see the Federation and Starfleet have a setback in the war that was their fault. For the most part, they lose ground when the Dominion overpowers or outnumbers them, and not because they made a mistake. While Worf's choice to return to Dax instead of meeting the informant was undeniably a tactical error from the perspective of the war, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a mistake from the perspective of Worf's ethics. I get why Worf did it, and would probably have done the same in his place. But this is a far cry from the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. The B-plot with O'Brien's desire to beat Quark at Tango was somewhat amusing. The reason he was so obsessed is plausible, if pushing cruelty a little. Still, it resulted in some great conversations, including the bet over scotch and blood wine. Not a bad episode, but not a great one either. Knowing how close we are to IMDb's highest-rated episode in the series may be distorting my perspective, since the intervening episodes don't quite live up to that bar. Plain. I think I want to lower my grade. I was you, at you can if you choose. Yeah, I want to put it at two because Blaine made me realize we're talking about Worf. Jedzia would be dying with honor. She was on a mission. She died in battle. Him going back is completely against. I mean, completely. So it's going non Klingon. Yes. They and, and turned a Klingon warrior into a big old soft teddy bear. Yeah. And Jed, Jedzia is the most Klingon of the non Klingons. In fact, Correct. she's more Klingon than some Klingons we've met. 
Yeah, Zia would have been more pissed off that he, he didn't follow through the mission. Yeah, exactly. And, and we never saw that. To me. Now, don't welcome, get me wrong. Welcome I, to the twos, Dave. Stand with <laughs> us in the twos. I'm like Blaine. If, if my wife is out in the jungle dying, there's nothing that would stop me. Mm-hmm. But, but you are not a Klingon warrior. I am not a Klingon warrior. I'm not Worf. Unless there was a good loot crate to distract you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a different piece. No, Honey, I gotta I, get to that loot crate first. I'll be back. Harry Potter, she would she would do a Jazzy and say, you know, go get it, go get it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a special snitch in that one. But no, yeah, I'm going back to two because it just it does not ring true to me. Even though I like the dialogue, I like the acting, it doesn't set well with me. All right, so Andy stands alone with his high rating. I wouldn't say it was high. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're the highest among us. Oh, is this Alan Moran all over again, where I'm left being the one that argues that, yeah, it's a bag of shit, but it's an entertaining bag of shit? What yeah, was the rating on that one? Let's, let's see if I can revisit that. Where did that, where did that go? I think Andy gave it something like a three. Uh, no. <laughs> Sean and I gave it a one, and Andy gave it a 1.5, okay. and that put, that put him in a position of defending it. Yeah. Apparently that 1.5 meant I thought that was the greatest piece of Star Trek ever made. <laughs> it felt like I was, gave it a three. I was happy to defend that episode's honor. That's, because, I mean, you think about it, it's sad, though. You gave it a 1.5 and we forced you to defend it. Yes, <laughs> because I love a good game of hopscotch. You, you're like the uh, the Peter Cetera of uh, defending bad at- Bad episodes. I am the man who will fight for your honor. Ah, so glad you don't you don't don't speak bad of the Karate Kid. I didn't. I was just, you know, just to go on another tangent. We just watched season two of Cobra Kai. Oh, I've not watched that yet. I've watched most of season one. Season one was phenomenal. Season one was really good. Season two is not quite as good as season one, but it's still enjoyable. Uh, Did anybody? It's an incredibly quick uh, binge. Did anybody get hit by a bus that you want to spoil for me? <laughs> Martina Sirtis plays Daniel's mother. And she gets she, hit by a bus. She gets hit by a bus. Are you ever going to watch Titans, Bill? No, no. I'm, I'm, just, you're I'm just being up to it. Bust in your balls. Bust in your balls. I may watch Titans at some point. Because I'm from Jersey. I was born there. I don't speak like that. <laughs> but apparently Dave thinks you and I sound exactly the same. At 5am, everybody sounds the same. <laughs> Marina Sirtis could be on the show, and I'd be like, Andy? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I wish you guys would stop making me laugh this much. Now I just pictured Andy in the Counselor Troy dress. Oh. Well, that's that's an abrupt end. (laughs) Let's find out what we're doing next time, because I'm not feeling comfortable with any of this. I'll play with my nipples. Oh, okay. Oh, we've gone past the line now. (laughs) I think the line's gone years ago. (laughs) Can't even see the line. You know what what happens? We keep passing the line and then creating a new imaginary line. Yes. So you could say the line's drawn here and no further? Which Counselor Troy outfit are we talking here? I don't Mm. want to see him in any of them. Thank you. That one that she does her exercises with. with I was just going to say that that her and Gates McFadden are working out with. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway.
Next time on an all-new episode of Listen to the Prophets. To suffer woes which hope thinks infinite. To forgive wrongs darker than death or night. To defy power which seems omnipotent. To love and bear. To hope till hope creates. A shocking revelation. He said he knew my mother. Becomes Kira's bitter obsession. You want to travel back in time to see if gold be caught in your mother were lovers. But lurking in the shadows of the past. He's still the enemy. It's not that simple. Is a dark truth. You've fallen in love with him. With devastating consequences. She's a collaborator. She deserves whatever she gets. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. To dream the impossible dream. To fight the unbeatable foe. I think my that's best that's, that's, This is my quest. What? <laughs> what? Oh, sorry. I was, I was oh, doing the line from uh, Insurrection. I said my breasts feel firmer. Bye, everybody. Bye. Listen to the Prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the 2TrueFreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I think this episode was better than the episode we watched. Yeah. Yeah, not because we talked about the episode, though. Exactly. It was funnier. Yeah. Yes, certainly was. <laughs>